This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parsha Tuma 5781, everybody. We're, we're dealing with a Pasuk toward the beginning of the Parsha. Parak Chafhei, Pasuk Tesvav. It says, Bitabos Ha'aron Yu Habadim. The poles, the staves, that were on the side of the Aron Kodesh should be inside rings that are on the side of the Aron. Lo yasuru mimenu, they cannot be removed from it. The poles must stay on the side of the Aron Kodesh at all times. They can never be removed. Now Rashi says that very clearly. He uses one word to describe this. He says, Olam forever. It can never happen. Once they were placed inside the rings, they'd have to stay there forever. In fact, this is one of the lavin in the Torah. This is an actual lav in the Torah itself. E- even when it makes no sense to leave the poles in, they still must be kept in. There is absolutely no choice whatsoever. The Be'er Basada, who's one of the Perushim Rashi, says, even if you want to take them out for a moment in order to clean them, you know, sometimes it gets a little rusty or whatever it is, even gold can get, lose its luster, lose its shine. Even if you want to take it off, that is absolutely forbidden. Even if your mindset is to put them right back in, you cannot remove them for even one moment, according to Rashi. And that's what he meant. And that answers a few questions that people might have in the Mizrahi, but it would be usher no matter what to be able to take them out for even one second. Rav Chaim Knieski was asked, what would be the halacha if you removed the bottom from one of the rings and you had it remain in the other ring? Remember, there were two rings on each side of the Aron Kodesh. So let's say you removed it from one ring, you pulled it out a little bit, but you kept it in the other ring. It never left the other ring. Well, then what would be the halacha? What would be the problem over there? Would that be enough to be machayiv you malchus? What would be the halacha over there? He says no, because the pasuk says lo yasuru mi menu, not mayhem, which sounds like as long as it's attached to the Aron Kodesh in one way, that's going to be fine. But if you remove one of the bottom from both tabos, in other words, remember there were two bottom on each side. If you remove one bod, one pole from both tabos, both of those rings, then you would be Sky of Malchus, because even one of them is there, and that's how the Kesef Mishnah puts it by the Rambam itself. Can you remove the poles with the rings at the same time? The poles cannot be taken out of the rings. Well, what if I tear off the rings, keep the poles in the rings, but they're no longer attached to the arm? That he says, I hear that could be a Machlokis. The Pardes Yosef says you're Chayev for that. That's going to be Chayev. Okay, but that's the Halacha, and that's what we're saying, and that's how Rashi understands it. You cannot remove them. The Ibn Ezra, brings down an opinion that the poles were switched from rings to rings. There were two sets of rings on each side of the Aron Kodesh. Two on top and two a little below or two on the bottom. And on the other side, the exact same thing. So there would be two and another two. And the poles were switched from one to the other when they placed it down in the base of Mikdash or the Mishkan. And when they carried it, it was put, put inside a different one. So what it means is, according to this opinion, is that you can never remove it from the poles permanently. But you can remove it from one pair and bring it to the other pair. You can bring it from one pole, but one ring, and bring it down to the other one. Now, this is not just brought down by the Ibn Ezra's opinion. This is brought down by the Moshe Zikanim, the Balaitosis, the Chizkuni says it in Pshat, that when the, the Arun was brought to the base of Mikdash, or the Mishkan in Shila, where it was stationary, and would never be pulled around ever again, would never be brought out ever again, then it makes sense that the poles were no longer necessary and therefore placed in a different position because it wouldn't need to be carried. So therefore it went somewhere else. But Ibn Ezra 
doesn't like it. And it doesn't seem to go with the Gemara in Yuma, Ayin, Bezim, and Aleph, which is very clear. The Gemara says very clearly that the poles should not be removed ever. And that's what Rashi says as well, that there aren't two sets of rings. No, there's just two rings, two rings on both sides of the Aron, and the pole stays inside there, and that's that. It seems pretty obvious over there. Now, this is all based on Tosis and Yuma, and there's some work that goes into this, where Chaim Peltiel as well, but either way, the Orachim Akadosh says that the Hakpada is based on the word Mimenu. The poles can move around within the rings, but they can't re- be removed from it. In other words, just to make it easier, right? The ring had to be like this. The pole didn't have to fit it completely, in which it had to fit completely inside and it couldn't, get, couldn't move whatsoever. It could move. It could go from side to side. Meaning if you had, let's just say, like... The ring inside, if it went like that, that was fine. There was no issue whatsoever. It's where it couldn't be, it couldn't be taken out of the rings themselves. That's how the Orachayim HaKadosh says. And obviously there are problems. The Gemara and Yuma is extremely unclear about this. There's not going to be a shear about the Gemara and Yuma. And I'm not going to go into it, but there's a stira that's brought down by Rabbi Yosef Archanina. People don't understand what the word Mimenu means. It sounds like it's out of place as opposed to out of wherever it is. But the word Veivesa is used, which sounds like it could be brought in. I'm not going to go into this. But regardless, the Orachayim HaKadosh says that's what it seems. It can move around within the rings, within the rings itself. But it has to be kept inside the rings. It can't be out there. The Rabbeinu Bachayi and the Chizkuni says for that reason, and I'm sure you've heard this before, the poles were very thin on the inside, but thick on the outside. And you've probably seen that in things before. If you don't want it to come out, then it'd be very thick on the outside, so it can't get out no matter what. Now, it was part of the poles itself. I don't know how they fit it into the poles in the first place, but I'm assuming they manipulated it. I'm sure they burned down the gold so it became malleable and pliable, was able to fit it through the ring and put it inside there and then let it like, uh, expand. When it got in the air, like when it cooled down, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like It would be, like, like I, I guess, sort of like that and then expand a little bit when it got out. And once it expanded, it stayed in place and could not be taken out from where it was. And I think that's how they understand it, how to be able to go through. There's also Machlokas, who put them in? Was it Moshe Rabbeinu, like it sounds like over here? Or was it Aaron in Bamidbor, in Perak Dalapasagay? It sounds like Aaron was the one that did it by the times of the Masos, where Aaron and his sons put in the poles and they were the ones who put it in. Tosu says that's why, because whenever they traveled, they used to switch it from pole to pole. But according to everybody else who says that didn't happen, it sounds like it's a machlokes between the two. And what it really means is that it must be they were taken out when Moshe Rabbeinu put them in, so that the Kohanim could put it in the very first time in Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and then it stayed that way forever. So really, it did happen once that, it, they, that they took it out, but they took it out in order to put it back in forever. And that's the idea behind it. Okay. That's the end of those types of alachos. The Panech Raz says a chiddish, it's based on Tosin in, in Yuma, that the poles were never removed from the rings, but when they camped, they pulled the poles to the side. They pulled it over to the side, like they pulled it out a little bit, so it hit the parochas. You guys know what the parochas is, right? The curtain that was right in front between the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the Kodesh. So that it looked like, and excuse me because I'm not going to describe this, but if you know, you know, it looked like Dade Isha that were coming from the parochas. So the poles were pulled out to look like Dadeisha. Now, other Rishonim seem to say that it was a miracle, that the Aron Kodesh and the poles should not have pulled out so far, but it hit the parochas, and it looked like Dadeisha. But according to this opinion of the Panach Raza, it wasn't a miracle. 
they pulled out the poles from one of the rings, but they left it in the other so that it would look like Dabi Isha from the, from the, what's it called, from the parochas. And then when they were traveling, they put it back in. That's how he answers up that Shaila, how did Aaron put in the poles? Because it had to be put in the other ring. And that also answers Rechaim Knievsky, the question they asked before. Can you take it out of one of the rings, but leave it in the other? According to this idea, you could. You were allowed to take it out of one of the rings, but not the other, and that wasn't a problem whatsoever. That's what the Panayak Raza was saying. So that it ended up being that way, and they left it that way. Now that means, remember how he said before that they made the two edges really, really thick, so that it couldn't be moved out completely? According to this opinion, it was really thick on one side, but it wasn't really thick on the other side. And they pulled it out, and it was able to be used, and that's what it looked like. The Panim Yafos, on page 796, says the reason why they weren't set in place completely was because they had a kisui or tachash that went on top of the arrow when it traveled. Anybody can imagine? Can you imagine why there was a kisui or tachash? Anybody know? Dave, I'll get to you in a second. Do you know why there was a kisui or tachash, a covering, while they traveled? So that people couldn't see the Aron Kodesh. Nobody, nobody could see it. It was a problem. Like, nobody could look at it. So in order to make sure that that fit well, because think about it, how are you going to put a kisu or a tachash on top? If you put it there and the poles are sticking out, it's going to go over and you're going to be able to see the arm from underneath. So they had a hole in one of the blankets on one side and a hole in one of the blankets on the other side, and they'd pull it through. So they'd pull out the pole this way so that they could put the blanket down and put it through the hole, then pull out the pole the other way so that it would fit through, and then they would put it inside. So the same thing. The Panami Office says the exact same thing. You could move poles from one ring to the other without any problem. Dave, yeah, what was your question? Give me a second. Give me a second. You, you're right, Dave. I, I'm, I'm going to get to your question exactly very, very soon. In other words, the Aron Kodesh was that special. You shouldn't need people polishing it or people even carrying it for that reason. G- give me a second with that, Dave, because it's a great question. Right, right. Hold on. Literally, hold on one second. The, the concept that you're bringing up is called no say es no sub, and we're going to get to it. We are going to get to that. But that's, but that's the Panam Yuffos, guys. And I thought that was a brilliant Panam Yuffos. I never even thought about it, like how the blanket went on top. The Malbim quite, says about this quite a bit. He goes on where the Aron stood and where it was placed and how it was placed and stuff like that. I'm not getting into that because it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, getting, getting more particular in the details. Rav Hirsch says this symbol. What did this symbolize? What did the poles on the Aron Kodas symbolize? It represents... The commandments and our mission, we have a mission, we all know this, our mission to carry the Aron and its contents wherever it needs to go. We don't think the Aron Kodesh is there and Torah is there. I can't learn at home because I'm not in Shul. I can't learn at home. I can't learn when I'm on vacation. I, I don't have my Svarim. I'm not in my right place. I'm, I, I can't do that. That's not true. You can learn anywhere, wherever you want. Well, now with Zoom, you literally can learn everywhere. But you can learn wherever you want, at any time, wherever you want to go. You have the ability to learn. You don't have to be around in one place in order for that to happen. That's the idea of what the poles on the Aron represent. If you need to carry the Aron Kodesh somewhere else in order to bring it somewhere, so that you can have that Kedusha elsewhere, you can bring Kedusha from one place to the other. The Torah is not like the Makom HaMikdash. The Makom HaMikdash is alone. Korbanos can't be brought anywhere else. But the Torah is independent of any place. 
It should be, it can be, and it should be learned everywhere. Other things may be connected to Israel. I can't do Shemitah here in Chicago. I can't do Trumos and Maestros unless the fruits come here while I'm here in Chicago. But this, right, this, the Aron Kodesh, the Torah, the learning of Torah that we're supposed to do is everywhere, and it must be everywhere, and there's no excuse. We have to do it everywhere we have. The Be'er Ma'im Chaim says more than that. He says, what is a pole without the Aron Kodesh? What is a pole? So has anybody here seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid? It's what I grew up on. Like, I'd like to say I grew up on Torah. I grew up on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then eventually I found Torah. But that was literally what I grew up on as a little kid. I never understood what Donatello had as a weapon. He's a poster. He's a bow. He had a stick. Like, I get a sword. I get size. I get even nunchucks, even though it's super weird. I get it. I totally get it. Like, if you have a choice, like, you're sitting there. Who got the stick? Who in the way? He just got a big stick. You're just like, eh. And the guy's like, ow, Stop it. <laughs> like, what are you hitting me with a stick for? Like, everybody else gets a cool weapon. And he's got the, the, the lamest weapon in the world. That's that. Says the Bear Maim Chaim. Now, he's not talking about Donatello. I can promise you that. But he says that the poles without the Aron Kodesh are just a weapon. It's a weapon of war to hurt others. When they're placed inside rings, even weapons can be used to support and help others. The badim should therefore never be taken out, so they'll always be used for a positive purpose. Because when you take them out, they can be used for something negative. That is a brilliant shot. To always remember what you're supposed to do and what you should be using it for, as opposed to what it actually is be used for. It is actually used for. It was nine Latoricism shot. The purpose of the badim was because the shechina needed to be mitzamtim. Now, I, I, I don't know what that means exactly. It appeared between the two badim. You needed poles outside the Aron Kodesh so that the Shekhinah had a place to rest. Don't ask me why that was necessary if you have the Kruvim on top or if you have the Aron Kodesh itself, that the bottom, so to speak, were these conduits that allowed the Shekhinah to be there. You could ask the same question about the Tefillin. Tefillin has the Tefillin box on top, which is supposed to be a conduit of energy and Shefa that comes down from Shemaim, and it goes down into your head and down to your body through the straps that go around our body. That's the reason why there are straps, and you have straps on the arm to ro- surround your arm with that type of Kedusha as well. Why you need straps, and it's not good enough to be able to hold it in and bring it down, I have absolutely no idea. It's the same basic type of answer over here. That's the idea behind what the poles represented, an ability to pull it down and then shoot it out, so to speak, to allow that Shefa to go wherever it's supposed to go. The Parnassa and all the great things that Akadosh Baruch is bringing down for us, it has an ability to go out through the poles themselves. That's the simon that God loves us. And remember what I said before, that the badim stuck out of the parochas to represent Dade Isha. The same thing that I said before. That's the pshat. What does the woman use the dadim for when it comes to a baby? To feed the baby and give it shefa and parnas, whatever it needs. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving us what we need through the poles of the Aron Kodesh. It's a beautiful muscle, the way he understands it, the Oznayim Torah, and that's the reason why he was over there. In Drush, Rabbi Vigdor Miller explains the purse of the bottom was to show their transience, as if we're always moving. We don't belong in this world. We're, we need to consider ourselves moving, like the famous Chavetz Chaim story, where the guy came in and said, where's your furniture? And the Chavetz Chaim turned to him and said, where's your furniture? Rebbe, I'm traveling. I'm traveling also. I'm going from place to place. And in Jewish, Rabbi Victor Miller says, B'nai Yisrael were sitting in flimsy tents. They were in unsettled conditions for 40 years. 
to negate their desires and to knock down their concept of Gashmias. So that they knew that whenever they had to leave, they had to leave, they had to travel. They learned to ignore literally everything the other nations held dear understanding, therefore, what was truly important to them. Everybody else, they had their buildings, and they had their power and everything out there, and the Jews had Torah. They had nothing else. There was no home to speak of. It's why you have to really wonder how B'nai Yisrael Mamish survived during this time. Forty years? Can you imagine being in a tent for 40 years without anything else there? They would simply learn Torah every single day. Even the Aron Kodesh, the structure most likely needing a permanent place and something like that, was made temporary. For that reason, the polls around it to show, you want to get Torah? Make yourself temporary. Make yourself available wherever you want to go. That's a beautiful word from Victor Miller. The Tam Bidas says, and this, Dave, this goes back to what you were saying before, the Aron Kodesh was no seas, no sub. It carried those who carried it. The only example that we have of this, unless I'm messing up, or maybe you could say Peretz and Uzzah, when David Melech brought it to Yerushalayim, but the only example we have of this is when B'nai Yisrael brought the Aron Kodesh over the Jordan River. The Kohanim were told to carry it. There were two on each side, right? Technically, I mean technically, there were three on each side, and each foot, whatever it is. But normally there were two people that carried it on each side. As they brought up to the Jordan River, right, this is what happens in Yoshua and Perak Dalit. so when they brought up to the Jordan River, they took one step in, and once they took a step in, holding the Aron Kodesh, holding the Badim, immediately the river started flowing upward, and the rest of the river went. It wasn't like Kriyas Yamsuf, where like the sea split. This is a river. The river stopped flowing downstream and flowed up, literally up into the sky, while the rest of the river just dried out, and the people just crossed right across while they saw the river go up like that. And then they took one step back. When all B'nai Yisrael crossed into Eretz Yisrael, they took one step back, went back onto the Jordan area, the area which on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which was still Jordan. They took one step back, and they were holding the Aron Kodesh. The river came down and kept flowing as if it had never stopped. And then the Aron picked them up and carried them across the river. And they were carried. That's the example of no say yes, no sub. The Gemara says that happened all the time. Whenever you carried the Aron Kodesh, you weren't actually carrying it. It was carrying you. That's the concept of what we call no say yes, no sub. The craziness of the Aron Kodesh, where if you mamish felt you were carrying it, you would die. You would not survive. When Peretz, uh, Uzzah, I'm sorry, uh, wait, was it Peretz or Uzzah? I don't remember which one. I, whichever one, when the one saw the son of Avinadav, when he saw that he thought the Aron Kodesh was falling off the wagon, and he put out his hand to be able to catch the Aron Kodesh, he died. Because you can't consider the Aron Kodesh like a random clee that might be falling. It's no say, it's no sub. It's carrying those who carry it. I, I don't know where else we mention this. If somebody knows another place, when the Pelishtim took it, right, and when when, when the sons of Eli, Chafni and Pichas, brought it out to war, it doesn't say no see us, no sub. The police obviously carried it in. Even when it was brought back on the cows, they put it in a wagon. I don't know where else we see it, but I believe this, this idea is it. Yeah, Shlomo. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, well, I should tell you, even when they took that step inside the river, they were not really stepping inside the river because what B'nai Yisrael was told to, were told to do by Yoshua is to go underneath their feet, take the rocks underneath their feet, and bring it with them to Gilgal, which meant that they weren't standing on anything because you can't take stones from underneath their feet right, w- with them standing on it. 
So they, they clearly were up in the air in some way, some, some form. I don't know how exactly, but clearly there was something different. So yes, they were standing in the river, but not on the ground. So there was something different, I, but I don't know. I absolutely don't know. But that's the Tom de Das. He says the idea behind this no say es no sub, it teaches us that kiyom Torah, keeping the Torah alive, is truly miraculous. And it doesn't make any sense at all. In a way, it seems that I'm supporting Torah. By giving $100 or $1,000 or $10,000 or even $100,000 to a kolel and getting my name up there, Tzvi Zimmerman's kolel, well, that way I'm supporting the kolel. But it's not true. It's not true. And we have to stop thinking that way. The Torah is supporting us. The Torah is no say es no sub. The fact that we're supporting that kolel allows me to have the parnasa that I need to continue doing everything else that I have in life. I get to go on vacation because I supported that Torah learning. Because I made sure that a Talmud Chacham had something they needed in order to learn. That that person was sponsored for a seum. It's the other way around. I, I, and listen, I, I'm not saying this is easy. I, I, I never think this way. When I pay whatever it is to be able to have something happen, right? Something Torah-wise happening, whether it's for my kids or for people that I know or whatever it is, it's very hard for me to think he's supporting me instead of me supporting him. A zvulin to a Yisachar always thinks it's my money and Yisachar is just taking it for a good reason, but he's taking it from the zvulin. This is the opposite. No CS, no sub. The lesson behind it, Sibzor Sternbach, is to go the other way around. The Bade Aron, the supporters of the Aron, were supporting those who were carrying it. You couldn't actually carry it. It was supporting them. It's the opposite way and a very, very hard lesson to learn, but a true lesson nonetheless. There's more behind this, obviously, but that's that. Oh, I see that I kept something inside there. The Sefer Achinov says another idea, idea behind this, but I, I, he says you shouldn't take the bottom out because there may be a time when they have to leave immediately. They'll have to run in, grab the Aron Kodesh, and get up and go, and that's that. And if you don't have it in properly, then Chas V'Sholem might fall to the ground. Anybody who's seen a person do Hagba who shouldn't be doing Hagba has had that fear in their lives. Should I run out of Shul right now? If I run out, is that good enough that I won't have to fast? You see that guy, like the 97-year-old man who gets Hagba, and you're just like, oh, this is not going to work. This is just not going to do. So the Sefer Achinov says, of course, there's other reasons. The Kalim of the base mixture were made in it. Certain stewards make them think. But that's how the Sefer Achinov puts it. Aleinu l'shabach, Rabbi Yitzhak Zobrashim brings a story based on this, that a Talmud Chacham should never lose his surah. The same idea as the Aron Kodesh had to have that surah of having badim in it to know that there was a support. A Talmud Chacham should never lose his surah even when he's not in the middle of learning. And I know this is hard, but he says, for example, a certain Talmud approached with Moshe Feinstein. If you know this story, obviously, it's a great story, and you probably heard it in some version before. Talmud approached with Moshe Feinstein right before Ben Azmanim. In the yeshiva in MTJ, where Rav Moshe was the Rosh Shiva. I said to him, Rav Moshe, what should I do for Ben Azmanim? What should be my one thing that I should take on for myself? A nice thing to take on. Moshe Feinstein knew that this kid came from a smaller town. And he said, when you go to Shoal between Mincha and Marith, the Rav gets up there and he probably darshans a Mishnah or two. Right? They do Mishnayis. You know, that, that's the thing that especially back in the day, everybody did Mishnayis between Mincham Arv, and that was the learning that most of these people did. You're going to have a desire to go to the shelf, pull out a Gemara, and go learn Gemara, while the rabbi of the shul is darshaning Mishnayis, because truthfully, it's not on your level. You're on a higher level than that. 
You're not learning Mishnahis with the same people in the shul. And maybe you're even on a higher level than the rabbi. It's possible you're on a higher level than where the rabbi is holding. So you're going to have a desire to go to the bookshelf, take out a Gemara, ignore what the rabbi is saying and do it. And do it. He told this bacher, stop, stop yourself, and make sure to pay attention to the shear between Mincha and Marav. Take those five, ten minutes in the rabbi's darshaning and listen to the rabbi darshan. Why? Because if you show that you don't care what the rabbi has to say, you're a bacher in yeshiva. If you show during Ben Azmanim that you're going to do your own thing, you're not going to listen to him, nobody else is going to listen to him either. Nobody's going to listen to him. They're going to stop listening to him. They're going to say, we don't need to do Mishnayis anymore. And they're going to do something else or maybe nothing at all. This is something they must know and they must get involved with, says Rib Moshe Feinstein. That's the idea behind it. And that's what we have to remember. Because in order to remember who we are and what we do in this world, our tzura is so important. It's really important. Today, we ended up doing a, the, the high school was taken on a ski trip. You know, every, I mean, if it snows this much, I guess you don't have much of a choice. So you have to go somewhere like that. I, I was so glad that over and over and over again, they kept saying the same thing. You're seen as a Jew. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be seen as a Jew. So you have to make a Kiddush Hashem. You can't allow yourself to be seen by everybody else. They're going to see you. Did you say thank you? Did you say please? Did you walk up to people and say something to them? Or did you act like a person who I'm better than you, or I'm not going to listen to you, or I'm going to do something even worse? There's a Kiddush Hashem that has to be done. It's amazing to be able to go through. But either way, that's the idea behind it. Gehazi, by the way. Everybody remember Gehazi? He was the guy, Elisha's servant. Chazal states in a medrash that the reason why Gehazi did not have schus and lost out in everything is because he didn't go into Elisha's shear when Elisha gave shear with the other Talmudim. He felt he was too good for that. So he walked away, and because of that, he became Gehazi, etc. There are other Ramazim over here. We should never remove ourselves from our own Kodesh. We should keep ourselves asking Shailas. That's another thing from the Tamvadas. When we find ourselves in dire straits and we have no idea what to go, where to do, we should grab onto the Torah. That's Elznaim La Torah. Another thing Tamvadas says we should carry the Torah everywhere, as we said before. And of course, as we were saying, the main idea is that the Badim represent the supporting of Torah. That that's the idea, that it represents someone who is learning Torah. The Aron Kodesh is the learning Torah itself. The bottom are those who are able to support it and hold it up. And that there's Zochah to Olam Haba by being there, Ashrei Chelkam, we say. Ramosha Alshech says if the Aron itself represents those learning Torah, then the poles represent those that are holding them up like we said. The Shach says it as well. He says the positive, The shadow of Chochmah, is the same shadow of the money that's used to make that Chachma happen. In Ein Kemach Ein Torah, as we say in Pirkei Avos, if there's no other ability to be there, and he says something even crazier. The Gemara Pesachim Nun Gimel Mabez, anyone who gives money to Talmidei Chachamim to learn will be Zoha to sit in Yeshiva Shomala in the shadow of his friend. Together with this friend, you support a yeshiva like the Mir or Panovich or one of these big yeshivas where those Talmidim are in Olam Haba, you get to sit with them because you are a supporter of that yeshiva. You're helping them out. The Chavetz Chaim brings you Shalmi, brought by Tosis Sota Lama Zayim Hashem will make a tzel and a chuppah for Bale Mitzvos to sit next to Bale Torah in Gan Eden based on that very same pasif. Mesha Chachma says this can be learned from the Pesukim themselves. The Mizbeach and the Shulchan both require Badim, but you could take the poles out when you don't need them. The Shulchan and the Mizbeach did not keep their Badim. But the Arun Kodesh must keep their Badim because that represents Talmud Chachamim. Talmud Chachamim always needs supporters, always needs somebody helping them. 
That's the reason why. Chavetz Chaim says it can be learned from the menorah as well. The menorah was ad ad It was all one big piece of gold. That the base that held up the menorah was equal to the top where the lights came. That the base, the support for the menorah was the same as those who learned the Torah on top. It's all from the exact same thing of gold. That's the idea behind it. There's more, I mean, even though it's amazing, you could be called a supporter even though you really didn't do anything. No say yes, no sub, as we said before. Tuvchiyabiyu says sometimes we, we, we don't see it, but there are some great stories out there. For example, Rav Zalman Sarutskin tells a story of his father-in-law, Rav Lazer Gordon. Those who know, Rav Lazer Gordon was a tremendous, tremendous Rav and Rosh Hashiva of Tells. He's the one who really started Tells Yeshiva. I'm sure somebody from Tells will tell me that it's not exactly correct. But Laser Gordon was a tremendous addict who used to eat and live by his in-law's house when he first got married. His father's, father-in-law's name was Avram Yitzchak Neuser. But Avram Yitzchak Neuser was a tremendous Talmud Chacham himself. He had his son-in-law, Rav Laser Gordon, sit there. Now, Laser Gordon was starting to get known everywhere. So people sent delegations to get him to be their rabbi. So people would come from this city and that city and this city and that city, and they come in and they say, we'd like you to be the rub of our town, we'd like you to be the rub of whatever it is. And Rev, Rev Laser Gordon would go to his father-in-law and say, what do you think, what do you think? And each time Rev Avronoiz would convince them, I'd like you to stay here. I think it's better if you stay here. Not that he didn't want him to have a job, but he said, why should you stop learning if you can still learn? Learn. There's no reason to do anything else. You don't need anything. Keep learning, I'll take care of you. Now the problem was, Rav Noiser was extremely poor. He had absolutely no money. And he had a lot of kids. So his Rebetzin, his wife, came up to him and said, I don't understand. Why are we keeping them in the house? Rav Lazer and his family, he had a couple kids himself. We can't afford our own family, she told her husband. How in the world are we supporting Rav Lazer Gordon? How are we supporting them? If he has an opportunity to take a job, let him get the job and go so we have five, six, seven mouths that we don't have to feed anymore. Wouldn't that be a smart idea? Rav Avram Noiser said something to her that struck her. He said, how do you know that I'm supporting him? Maybe he's supporting me. Maybe he's taking care of me. She didn't know what he was talking about, but she knew I'm not going to argue with him. Rav Avram Noiser was a tremendous Tamachachan. She didn't want to argue. She didn't say anything. Soon, bigger cities came. And they offered him positions that you just simply couldn't refuse. We're talking the big cities of Europe that all had tremendous Jewish centers, etc. Eventually, there was one time, one city that came, there was no way to say no to the city. It was a city like Vilna. You know, like a huge, huge epicenter of Jewish, of Jewish everything. And there was no way Blazer Gordon could say no to such a thing. So Rav Avonoiser himself said, I, I can't be selfish anymore. If they want you, you have to go there. That's a real place that you have to, that's a big, big city. They really need you, you have to go. On the day that he was supposed to leave, that morning, Rav Avonoiser came back from Shoal holding his talus and fill in his hands. He slipped on the steps going up to his house, fell down, hurt himself very badly. He passed away. Passed away later on that day. And the Rebetzin at the funeral called out loud and said, I didn't listen. I didn't believe you. You said that the only reason why we might be supported, we're not supporting them, they're supporting us. You said they might be supporting us, that the only reason why we're still getting anything is because Laser Gordon is here. I didn't believe you. And now I see you were right. Now I see you were right. That's scary. Isn't it scary? The person who's Mepharnes 
is really being taken care of. He, Mamish, believed it. Mamish believed it. He believed that the only reason why he was still alive, the only reason why he's still a professor, could be because of his son-in-law of Laser Gordon. So keep him alive as much, keep him around as much as possible. It's crazy. Now the Aptorov is a little bit of a different story. Everybody knows by Hasidim there's like pidyonos. You know what I mean? Right? You give like a little patek, like with your name on it, whatever your tzara is. Together with it, you give it a, a check or a little bit of money to be able to give with at that exact same time for the Rebbe to daven, etc. And it's similar to Yisachar's villain relationship. You're taking care of the Rebbe's parnasa, right? And the Rebbe is taking care, care of you spiritually, etc. Now, if everything goes well for them, says the Aptorov, then everything's great because they gave you parnasa, and the Aptorov is davening for them, and that's that. But if not, if bad things happen then they have a taina against the Rebbe. Your davening or your learning didn't help me. I mean, I know that I can't do it on my own. That's why I give you a pidyon. I want you to daven for me. And if it's not working, if something bad happens in my house, they should say to the Rebbe, I have a taina. Why didn't you daven well for me? So they should go to the Rebbe, says the Aptorov, and scream and shout, what's wrong with you? Right? But Yisrael Rachmanim, they're merciful by Shunim, and they're embarrassed. So they write everything down in a piece of paper, give a bit more money, so it's not chutzpah. So one time a man came to the Aptorov who was sitting in a seat by his table. The Aptorov was sitting in a seat by his table and the man brought out a large bottle of really good wine. So the rub tasted it, suggested it could be used for a kiddush and Abdullah. And the guy said, I'm bringing you 12 bottles of such a thing, a dozen bottles. You can use it for whatever you want. He then handed over his patek together with a very nice donation. The Rebbe shook and cried. And he said, I don't understand. Every morning I see my chassidim running to make parnasa. And I'm given parnasa by other people. I don't even try. He says, I don't understand. Is this taking away from my schus in olam haba that I'm taking it? No. It must be, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that God, you must want to punish me in this world by giving my schar in olam haza. You want to do that. If so, all my requests should be fulfilled. So that others will do the same and be mekayim your will which is clearly for me to be punished in this world instead of, or rewarded in this world instead of getting rewarded in the next. He then benched the man, sent him on his way, who later received his Yeshua. It's an unbelievable line from the Aptorov to be able to be willing to do such a thing for somebody else. And, okay, either way. Reb Moshe Wolfson in Amunasi Tekka wonders why the arm wasn't made with the bottom already attached to it. Wouldn't that be smarter? After all, if the bottom could never be removed, why not make the arm with the bottom? Why make that bottom step? And don't tell me, no, that's too hard. They made the kaporis and the kruvim on top out of one big piece of gold. They couldn't make the aron in the bottom out of one big piece of gold? You couldn't do that in the outer one? You couldn't do that? Why wouldn't you do that? He says the aron represents the kisea kavod. The aron being carried by kohanim is like the kisea kavod being carried by the malachim, the chayos hakodesh. Gavriel, Rafal, Michal, and Uriel on all four sides, together with all the Malachim, the myriads of Malachim that are down there. And obviously, the Malachim are not carrying the Kisya Kavod, the Kisya Kavod is carrying them, so to the Aron is not being carried by the Kwanim, the Kwanim are being carried by the Kisya Kavod. So he says, the Aron contained the Luchos, which were the Hamshochas Shefa, as we said, bringing about Shefa for all of Bnei Yisrael. It was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which allowed him to be Mamshich Shefa to everything and everyone. And therefore the bottom were there to carry it along. Remember how we said before that somehow the bottom were there to shoot out that Shefa to whoever needed it? That's the idea behind this. That's what this means over here. 
Again, just like we don't know what the straps are, they're the pipes to allow that shepherd to go through. Somehow that's the same thing. They stuck out from the parochas, as we said before, like a mother's dad and feeding her children. That process is continuing even today. Because where's the Aaron? Where is that Aaron Kodesh? Where can you find that Aaron Kodesh today? It was Ganus. Yoshia, the great king of Israel, the fifth to last king of Israel, took the Aron Kodesh and hid it. Where did he hide it? Underneath the Lishkasa Eitzim, in its place, Bimkomo, wherever it is, the Aron continues to exist. And the Badim continue to do their job. The Badim continue to be Mamshed. The Aron pulls down that Shefa and the Badim shoot it out to wherever you need it. Wherever we need it, it's there. Wherever it's being hidden, it's doing the job that it's supposed to do. So in essence, the bottom really have two jobs. To carry the Aron Kodesh. And number two, to be willing to take on the all, willing to take on the yoke, even when you know it's impossible to do something. You're willing to put poles in and carry, and because of that willingness, it carries itself and doesn't really need you. HaKadosh Baruch who follows through and allows you to have everything you need without absolutely anything from you at all. Now we only have a few minutes left, guys. It's 9.08, but I'm going to skip the Kedusha Slevi as well as the Arugas of Bosem. Right, both of them are there, but I do have a really, really nice, both of them are good, both of them are really, really good ideas that go through. But the Kliyakr is a beautiful Kliyakr. The Kliyakr says, the Pusik should have said the word instead of Badim, right? It should have said Badim, Be'ez Dalid Yud Mem, but instead it says Bade. Now over here in this Pusik in Tesvav, it says Abadim. In Yud Gimel, it says Bade Aram, without the Mem. He says, Bade is Be'ez Dalid Yud, the gematria of 16. If you go throughout the week, there are 16 aliyahs that are given out to different people. Three on Monday, three on Thursday, three on Shabbos by Mincha, that's nine, and seven on Shabbos morning. Obviously, you're going to ask, what about Maftir? Maftir was added on later on. The original decree, there was going to be seven, there was all together, there was going to be Bade, which are 16 aliyahs, seven plus nine, during the week all together. That's Bade. Beis Dalit and Yud, right, that idea right over there, in theory, stands for also where you're going to get it. Like, for example, right, they're made of Zahav. Gold is Zion. What day of the week is that? Shabbos. Hay is Thursday. And Beis is Monday, and that's when we normally lane. That's the concept behind it. The reason they cannot be removed, he says, is because we have a bris. That as long as we try, lo yamushu mi pichu mi pizarecha. The Torah will never be removed from your mouth and the mouth of your children. It will stay there forever. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says the lesson, therefore, behind the badim of the Aaron, lo yasumimenu, is that when you're learning, you can never turn away from what you're doing. You have to keep your mind razor sharp, write what you're doing right there, and never look up and look around at what's going on around you. Only pay attention to what's right there in front of you. That's the concept. And we'll end. The Torah more calls this a havtacha, a promise to us. We say, Lo si shachach mi pizaro. Parshish Devarim, Periklam and Aleph, Pasuk Chafalaf. Right? Lo si shachach mi pizaro will never be forgotten from the mouths of your children. Torah will never be forgotten just like the badim remain in the Aron. If we allow ourselves to think of the Torah as something that we support and yet it supports us, 
if we think of ourselves as, I will never remove myself from learning Torah. I will never stop myself from learning that Torah and I will stay there. Even when I need time off and even when I can't do it 24-7, I will always come back to it, which is the reason why Birchas Torah in the morning is not considered a hefsik. Hey, Birchas Torah, you make a bracha on Torah, right? You should learn immediately afterward. And I know we say, but nobody learns that. You should learn immediately afterward. The reason why is because the whole day is technically filled with Torah and it's not considered a hefsik. If so, the badim should never be removed from the Aron Kodesh in that way and we should never forget our connection to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, and that way the Torah will never be forgotten from our children. It'll stay there for our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids. It'll always be there for us for all time. Right, guys, we'll stop with this.